0: daughter on this side Durham Rescue Mission I was just a moment ago in my mind reflecting upon when Community Baptist Church began to be monthly supporters of the Durham Rescue Mission and uh, I'm not sure if it was during my time as pastor of the church I'm actually thinking when Fred Clifford was pastor am I correct? You know, when you get to be my age, uh, I have a hard time remembering on October 19th, 33 years ago, what I had for breakfast. (laughs) Uh, Do you have a problem like that? But I I was thinking that when when I came here, that the, the ministry of the Durham Rescue Mission was already in the budget. Brother Ernie Mills, uh, Ernie uh, trained, as we spoke this morning, under Neil Wilcox in the Winston-Salem rescue mission. Neil has been here in years gone by. How many remember Neil Wilcox and the great job that he did in the, in the Winston-Salem uh, rescue mission? Neil is from just down the road, 15 minutes. Kinston, retired now in Greenville, South Carolina, with his children. Brother Ernie graduated from Bob Jones University, and then God called him into this, a rescue-type ministry, ministering to men at that particular time who were struggling with addictions and whatever else, spiritual problems that they might have. And he trained under Brother Neil Wilcox in Winston-Salem. Well, you know, it's a joy to know that... uh, And then moving on to Durham and beginning the work in Durham, which he'll tell us more about what's going on there now. But beginning that work. And as as I say, it's good to have people from Eastern North Carolina who have proven their stuff in the ministry. Brother Ernie... Is from up the road, 35 miles from here, Greenville, North Carolina. Amen. And so God has used these two men in a particular way, and only heaven will reveal the souls that have been saved over those years, either in Winston-Salem or Durham. So it's a joy this morning to have the Durham Rescue Mission, uh, these gentlemen with us, and, and also uh, Lynn Holloman. Lynn is the... Bible teacher at the rescue mission, and also the choir director. And so I got a feeling we go hear some music this morning, and I'm going to step down so they can do their thing.
1: It is a real blessing to be with you today and just fellowship with you and get to know you there. Uh, God's given me my ministry of helping those that are addicted. And I'm preaching in a different church just about every Sunday. I'm in a different church meeting God's people, talking with them uh, before the service, after the service. And I am finding out that just about every Christian I talk to has an addicted person that's battling with addictions in their family somewhere. You know, is it a mother? Is it a dad? Is it a son or a grandson? An uncle, an aunt? Literally, in all of our families, basically, you don't have to go any farther than the cousins, the nephews, and the nieces. And we've got those in our families, don't we, that are battling with addiction. And I I want you to know that we're, we're here. We're here today, but we're there in Durham. Uh, literally, we want to be a help to you with your family, uh, with your loved ones, those that are struggling and seem, seemingly don't know which way to turn. So as we go through the service, I, I really want you to, to go back in your mind, and I want you to be thanking and praying for your loved one. Which Who is it? Is it a cousin? Is it a nephew? Is it a niece that's battling addictions? And that's what we're here for, and we, we want to give you some guidance and direction Try to give you some encouragement while we're here. So glad to have, uh, Lynn Holloway with us. So glad to have my, my, uh, daughter, Bethany Stroop on the piano. Uh, really better known as the mother of my grandson on the piano there. Uh, that, that's the part I enjoy so much, you know, is playing with him. And, I, we were talking about coming down, you know, uh, what, what would, what's a good vacation he would love? what is he, 14, 13, huh? 13, so pray for her with a 13-year-old. But I, we were talking about what what's one of what would be one of his favorite vacations so that we might could take it as a family together, is what we were talking about coming down. I enjoy things like that. So, uh, Lynn Holloway, you come and uh, lead us in song. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And it, it's good to be among you once
2: again. I, I think we were down here, was it last year? About three years ago. And uh, I was hoping to meet your pastor, or, you know, Pastor Varner, we were at Piedmont together. I think he was one year behind me. And I hadn't seen him in a while, so on the way down here I was thinking, to myself, well, I hope I remember what he looks like. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I tell him I said hello, and as I said, it's a joy to be here. I struggled with addiction for seven years of my life. I heard about the Durham Rescue Mission and went to the Durham Rescue Mission and got saved there at the Durham Rescue Mission. I grew up. With well, a mom that told us about the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't think I had a relationship, a personal relationship with Him. I don't think that started till about 1994, August of 94, at the Durham Rescue Mission. Reverend Crowley led me to the Lord, and I, I've been there at the Rescue Mission ever since. Uh, there on, in various uh, job responsibilities, Rescue Mission put together a scholarship and allowed me to go down to Piedmont and. Uh, Go to school there at Piedmont, and at Piedmont, I worked for Reverend Wilcox at the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission. for, And it took me six years to do all this. It took me six years to get a four-year degree. I finally graduated, and now I'm back at the Durham Rescue Mission, uh, serving there full-time. You're going to have the testimonies of some others. Uh, we're going to have song and testimony for you this morning. And as Preacher said, we hope we are an encouragement to you. The first song we'd like to sing this morning is entitled, Jesus Buried My Past. Jesus buried your past. I'm so glad he buried mine. And I'm so glad he has forgiven me of, of my sins. Well, as I said earlier, I want you to testimonies from our men. And the first man I would like to call up is, is uh, Brother Oliver. And Oliver is in the second part of our Victor program. The first part of our Victor program is a biblical studies program. Men are in the class five days a week, four hours a day. So, Brother Oliver, Could you tell uh, the church, how did you first come to learn of the Durham Rescue Mission? I learned about the Durham Rescue Mission um, off the internet. And what were the circumstances that led you to check into the Durham Rescue Mission? Well, I got off
3: work one day and went inside to get high and left my family and stayed out there for about a year. And I uh, met a gentleman in Augusta, Georgia that was uh, thinking of the church and he looked at me and asked me what I wanted to do with my life and I told him I wanted to come back home to Durham, North Carolina and didn't know where I was going to stay because I knew I couldn't stay with my mother so he gave me a one-way bus ticket and um, I came I spoke to my mother and I came to Durham Rescue Mission Amen so uh, the title
2: of our next song is If You Had Known Me if we'd have knew you before you knew Jesus Christ, what kind of response would we have toward you? You would lock the doors when you saw me. <laughs> Do, you Do you have a prayer request? Something that you would want the church to pray for, for
3: you? Um, I just asked for prayer for my family. Um, I, in December, I'll be going back home. Just want to make sure the Lord stays with me as I go. Amen. Thank you for your testimony, you. And that's one of many...
2: Testimonies that you would hear uh, from any of the residents there at the Doom Rescue Mission. The title of this next song is, If You Had Known Me.
4: The room was quiet and still.
2: I'd like to come forward is uh, Brother Leonard Sutherland, and Leonard is also in his second part of the Victor Program, and Leonard works at one of our thrift stores as uh, a manager uh, there in Durham, North Carolina. Brother Leonard, this is Brother Leonard. Brother Leonard, how did you first come to learn of the Durham Rescue Mission?
3: Well, like Oliver, I found out about it on the internet.
2: And what were the circumstances that led you to check into the Durham Rescue Mission? Well, 12 years ago,
3: I was a teacher at Danville Community College in Virginia and was drinking what we would call socially and recreationally, I suppose, using cocaine, I don't know, but it led into a drug addiction. And because of that, I lost my career, family, home, cars, everything. Um, After that, I started robbing and stealing to... Support my habit, and ended up doing some time in prison. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, it can't happen to me." Well, it can. You know, um, at the end of my rope, uh, the night before I came to the rescue mission about a year ago, I tried to commit suicide, and I guess the devil had used me as much as he could and was ready to get rid of it, and God had another plan, and. The next day, I got on a Greyhound bus, came to the Durham Rescue Mission, walked in the front doors. They didn't care about anything that had happened in the past. All they were concerned with was what I was going to do with my future. And because of that, January 12th, 2015, next January, I'll start a seminary at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, do it online. And like I said, God had another plan.
2: Now the title of our next song, which will be our last song uh, this morning, is uh, "Thank God I Am Free." Brother Leonard, how thankful are you? Free? That how thankful are you that God set you free from
3: your sin? Very thankful, uh, because of the relationship that I now have with Jesus Christ. I can't say I'm free. Amen. Thank God I am free.
2: Is the title of our next song.
4: Like a man that God gave back his son Like a poor wretched beggar Found fortune and fame I was glad that I found out He would bring me out His holy name For the sin, washing the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah! i say, 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 by wonderful grace. i was glad that I found out He would bring me up, show me the way.
2: We want to say thank you. Community Baptist Church. Because of your support, we are lives that have changed.
1: Thank you, choir. That's always a blessing to me to hear you sing there and just hear you give your testimonies. And that's what I live for. is for change lives. That in that got a little a PowerPoint presentation kind of want to share with you some updates on uh, some of the things that we've done there at the mission. And uh, trust it will be a, a blessing to you. Uh, this literally is our mission statement. What do we do? What is the purpose of the rescue mission? And our, our mission is to meet through the power of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, without Christ, there's no need to even have a rescue mission. So through His power, meet the needs of the whole person. And, and, and a, a person's made up of body, soul, and spirit, and, and, and we need to minister to all of those uh, parts of his life there. Uh, and, and then spiritually, which is the most important part of all, uh, uh, seeing that he gets saved and then begin to disciple him and see that he grows. And, and that's what the, the men over here mention about uh, their Bible class. They're literally, they're in Bible class uh, 20 hours a week. 20 hours a week they're in Bible class. They're in four different Bible classes for there's 20 hours there. Uh, is that right, 20 hours? It's, it's uh, four hours a day, five days a week. So every week you're in class, you're 20 hours there. And that's for six months. And then that they've learned the Bible principles, how to live and how to... Uh, you know, live for the Lord, and then the second six months, then they go out and get a job, and now it's put into in practice what they've learned during the Bible, putting it in, into shoe leather there. And a lot of times, that's our most difficult time for them. The, after the six months, uh used to, when, when they, they would have a job and they get that first paycheck, you know what they do with it? I call it drugs, you know. And so now that's a real temptation to them. So now we still want to work with them and teach them now how to take the biblical principles and apply them uh, to their lives in that. So to meet the needs of them spiritually, educationally, uh, vocational, I mean emotional, physically, and sociably, and vocationally, so that those who are hurting may become fully functional members in society. A lot of times they're homeless, they've dropped out of the job market, uh, they have no home. That they, their, uh, their, fa- sometimes their family has put them out, or sometimes they have uh, abandoned their family. And we try to reestablish those family relationships uh, back with that family again. And now Norman Pollard. Uh, does any of you ever work at DuPont? Any of you worked at DuPont here in Kinston, I see your hands. Anybody? Anybody know Norman Pollard? Norman Pollard was. Uh, he, he was from Greenville, North Carolina, but he worked at DuPont. And he, he was a real soul winner. He was a real soul winner there at DuPont. I'm, I'm amazed that nobody here worked at DuPont. Uh, because, uh, Norman Pollard and several others that worked at DuPont really began to, a lot of Christians came out of that re- relationship And a lot of churches was established out of people that came out of working at DuPont and got saved while they were there. Well, Norman Pollard was one of them. God never called him to preach. He, he was just a Christian layman there. But, but, uh, he led me to the Lord, showed me how to be saved. Matter of fact, I, I went to church one Sunday, uh, one Sunday, uh, uh, Frank Smith invited me to go to church, and, and I, we hadn't been to church, I don't know when, you know, and invited me to go to church, and, uh, I sat down at the pew, and Norman Pollard could spot a center a mile away, and he would always try to position himself to be a, a help to that person and to help. So Norman Pollard positioned himself right behind me during the 11 o'clock church service. And so the preacher preached. I don't even know what message he preached on now, but I knew that he was preaching to me that I was lost. I needed the Lord. And and, and, and the evangelist, it was an evangelist was there. It was a revival. And, and he was given the invitation, and we were all standing. And I had just graduated from Winnable High School. I, I'm right here. Pastor Hightower, he was wrong when he said I was from Greenville. I'm from Frog Level. Right outside of Greenville. I'm too country to be in Greenville, you know. Uh, but, uh, it's close enough to call it Greenville, though. The mailing address was Greenville anyway. Uh, but, uh, Norman Pollard, uh, we were all standing there during the invitation, and I, as a 19-year-old boy, had ran track for my school. I was a fascist runner at Warnerville High School. I'd ran track for them, represented them in the chin-ups on field day. I, I could do more chin-ups than anybody else at school. And so I was, nothing wrong with me. You know, I was a pretty healthy guy. and, and uh, But during the invitation, the Holy Spirit was just convicting me so much, I had to sit down in my pew. Now, that was embarrassing for a 19-year-old boy to have to sit down while everybody else is standing singing. And I sat down, and Norman Pollard, I told you, he he, he would position himself... To be a help to a Christian. So he bent over the pew while I'm sitting down and he said, Charles, that's my middle name, Charles, don't you want to give your heart to the Lord? I said, mm-hmm. and I, I stood back up. I got enough strength to stand back up, you know. I shook him off and, uh, and, uh, and that didn't lie, I didn't stand back up, but just a few seconds, you know, uh, it definitely wasn't a minute. And I, I, I had to go back down in my seat again. I mean, just the weight of conviction and and, 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 I, I remember I, I graduated from high school, I was going to Pitt Tech and I was going to study to be an electrical engineer, you know, I'd already took while in high school, I already took two evening courses in advanced electrical drawings, you know, and I already uh, begin, I already took those, and so uh, that wasn't going to be my life. And, and I remember telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll get saved, but let me finish college first. <laughs> you know how we argue with the Lord. But I had to sit back down, and Norman Pollard, after I done shook him off violently, he bent over the second time and said, Charles, aren't you sure, don't you want to get saved? I said, yes, sir. And he took me out into the there's a prayer room on the left hand side, and showed me the Romans road how to be saved. And I, I asked the Lord in my heart. I was back at church Sunday night. I was back at church Wednesday night. That same man comes up to me Wednesday night. He said, Charles. He said, uh, I'm going visiting uh, Friday. Wonder if you like come go with me. I didn't even know what visitation was. You know, I didn't know what church visitation was. You know, I'm just saved what four days in the Lord. You know. And but I knew one thing, that was the man that showed me how to be saved and prayed with me, and I wanted to spend some more time with him. I said, Yes, sir, I'd be glad to go with you there. He said, Oh, by the way, there's a verse there in Romans uh 323. Could you just learn that between now and Friday? Memorize it. And what that Norman Paula was doing as me as a young Christian, he was taking me under his wing and he, he showed me how to be saved, prayed with me, and I got saved. Now he was a disciple of me in the Lord. And God called me to preach just a month and a half later, you know. And, and, and I, I really believe that God's looking for many, many people like Norman Pollard. He was not a preacher, uh, but, but he, he was one of the greatest soul winners I've ever met anywhere. Uh, but I think because of him, I'm in the ministry today. And, uh, so, and I'm always praying, Lord, give us more Norman Pollards out there. And then, uh, I, I told you I, was, I wasn't from Greenville, I was really born in Aden, North Carolina, is where I was born, but at five years old we moved. Literally this is the house that I was born in. I don't mean I was born at home, at the hospital and brought home. This was the home and you can ride by there if you want to. You're not far from Aden. Uh uh 2617 Doc Loftus Road, the house is still standing there. And my grandmama lived across the street and my dad was was a shackropper, a shackropper. So uh from a very early age I, I began to feel the pain of poverty. And not only poverty, but addiction. And my dad was addicted to alcohol. And so at a very early age, I believe God was preparing me for the ministry that he wanted me to do for my lifetime. And now I've been in full-time rescue mission work for 45 years. That's all I've ever done, is 45 years. Started out at the Winston-Salem Rescue Mission in uh, 1968. And so all I've ever done was rescue mission work, and I love that. And, and, And then when we moved to Durham, uh, my, my desires there. My dad died at the age of 40. No, 39. Died at the age of 39 uh, with a cirrhosis of the liver because of his drinking and his alcoholism. And God just gave me, uh, after I became a Christian, nobody helped my dad. I remember nobody helped my dad with his uh, drinking problem, with his uh, salvation. I never saw my dad in church. I never heard my dad pray. And he died in a drunken coma. And, but But after I became a Christian, uh, it's been God's calling on my life is is to operate a rescue mission that I could be proud to have my dad come to. That that's been my goal is not just to, not just operate a flop house, not just to get by a, a place just to get by, but a, a nice place that I could be proud to have my dad at, and uh, that's what we do. And, and as I mentioned in the opening thing, there probably every one of us has an attic in our family somewhere. Is it a father? Is it a mother? Is it a son? or a daughter, or a brother, or a sister, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a grandparent, or a nephew, or a cousin. And part of it, I would dare say, if, if if I asked you, and personally, if you answered it honestly, we all got those in our families there. And if by chance you don't, you are a very unusual family, and you are a very blessed family. You are very blessed. But if we don't have the, the, those that are addicted in our family somewhere, uh. Uh, you're you're a very blessed family we we all got them just about all of us have got them and I want you to know that's what we're there at the Durham Rescue Mission for we are your missionaries and I thank you for that you support us and and we want to help you there and uh, so uh, be working there how the the economy is terrible out there and and, uh, sometimes they ask us how many do we work with and what we help with we, would you believe that uh, we, we, back, back in uh, January of this year, we had 469 people living at the Rescue Mission. Uh, what a, a tremendous increase. We've had a 36% increase uh, just between 2012 and 2013. And then uh, this past year, we, uh, we, we've had another 26% increase uh, in the, the past year. Uh, but the economy is terrible. A lot of those that used to be in middle class, they've lost their jobs. They were upside down in their mortgage. They owed more on their house. And, and, and now a lot of those that were middle class have dropped down in, in, into the poverty range there. And we're seeing that. They're coming to us from everywhere. And not only just because of the poverty, but I think we have got a lot of graduates of Victory Fellows that are going out, going back home, and now their brothers and sisters and their cousins and their uncles and their aunts are seeing the change in their life. And now they want that change in their life. And now they're coming also. And so I think that's, one of, that's a good reason to be coming. Now they're coming to turn their lives around. We have those that come and, and all they're looking for is three hots and a cot. You know what three hots and a cot is? That's all they want is three hot meals in a bed, you know. And, and, but until that, that the Holy Spirit speaks to the heart, we're not not much we can do to help them. But but once they hear the gospel and and they give their heart to the Lord, it makes a difference in their lives. So you pray for us. It, it strains our budget to to be able to have that greater increase for two years in a row. Uh, I don't know how we do it. I don't know how we. I, the staff does it there. But I, I, thank God, uh, last year. We had 491 to accept Christ as their Savior. I have a much easier job winning people to the Lord than your pastor does. I mean, uh, when, a lot of times when people come to the church, I mean, they got a good job, they got a home, they got a family. It seems like everything is, is going their way. Uh, and, and you try to tell that, they, that they're lost, they're lost, but, but it seem like things are going their way, and it's hard for them to comprehend that they need the Lord when it seems like everything is going their way, you know. But when, when guys come to the rescue mission, they've lost everything. And it's easy, very easy for me at the rescue mission, uh, and, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, to show them that they're sinners and they need the Lord. And, and readily they respond. Now, your pastor has a much easier job in discipling his group than I have discipling mine. Because so often when they come with drug addictions and all the other type of baggage that comes uh, with them when they come, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, two steps forward and one back. Two steps forward and one back. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and sometimes uh, they'll they come to the rescue mission and then they'll leave. Uh, because sometimes they're looking for a holiday in. And it's not no holiday in, you know, it's, it's work and it's, it's other details there. But then when they get back out and the devil beats up on them again, then they come back. And when they come back that second or third time, sometimes it's much easier to work with them and to help them there at the rescue mission. Uh, uh, Brandy, Ammons here. Uh, a lot of times you, you think of people coming to the rescue mission or just street people out there. Uh, you know, and, and if I asked you, did you know anybody's homeless, a lot of you might not know of anybody that's homeless, but you know somebody 's somebody that's addicted, which is just a stage before homelessness a lot of times. But but this lady here uh, was in church, uh, 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 in, in church in, in a, a Kentucky, a good church. Her husband was a deacon there at Independent Baptist Church in Kentucky. Her husband was a deacon, but Brandy lost her, her mother, passed away, and there was a There wasn't a a smooth relationship uh, before her mother passed away. And there were some amends that Amanda uh, uh, Brandy never made uh, with her mother. And and so she got on uh, depression. They put her on pills. And she got addicted to prescription medicine. And and, uh, going to church. I mean, she would go to church three times a week, you know. She was at church. uh, But yet she was addicted. And they, they finally realized that. And uh, their pastor had heard me preach at Bob Jones, and had had sent, uh, uh, and then then they got Brandy to come and brought her to the rescue mission. Now she stayed a year, finished the program. She's gone back to her church, and, and now she's teaching women in her church uh, that has a, a addicted loved ones, women out of the community that are addicted. She's teaching a, a class on addiction and the remedy for that of course is Christ you know she's going to the women's prison and and speaking to the women in the women's prison there uh, in Kentucky and her pastor is wanting to start a rescue mission in Kentucky and kind of pattern it out after the Durham rescue mission uh, this girl right here uh, uh, came to the rescue mission uh, she was so addicted to her drugs that she had I guess at that time about a 7 year old boy, a 7 year old son and a uh, and the the son was getting in way of her drug addiction. She could not meet the needs of her son and still follow her drug habit. So she went to the Department of Social Services and gave her son away. In other words, she signed away her parental rights to her son to the Department of Social Services. And and then she kept going down. Uh, one one family member, she stole a family member's uh. uh a debit card and cleaned out the bank account. She cleaned out their bank account. Uh, one one uh, family member loaned her a car so she could go to work. You know what she did with the car? She took it to the drug dealer and gave it to him for drugs. You know, and and uh, Karen would say, you know, it, I really deserved to be in prison. If my family would have prosecuted me, I'd be in prison. But they didn't, and and she finally she came to the rescue mission, turned her life around. And then we have three thrift stores. And uh, we, we try to develop jobs, especially when the economy turned down, it was hard to get jobs for our residents. And so we have three thrift stores that create really 70 jobs. 70 jobs. And we hire the homeless to, uh, primarily to uh, work in those thrift stores there and teaching them management skills and things like that and how to do that. And, and so you're a store manager. What store are you the manager of? Store too. But see, it, and what I always do when, when, when somebody comes into the rescue mission, we always love to look at the men and women that are there and find out what potential do they have and then teach them and train them and develop them to grow up above that. And yet yeah, we, we have 70 employees just working at the store. Uh, have y'all heard our slogan on clothing? We got it. And our slogan on clothing is that if your clothes are no longer becoming to you, we would love for them to be coming to us. <laughs> we can take those clothing, those clothing that you feel like that are no longer becoming to you. That's, that's really 70 jobs that we can create. And then it helps with, with some food and other things there at the rescue mission. So we got a Karen. She got a job working there at our thrift store. Our county manager needed a receptionist, his own personal receptionist, our county manager. And he called, and we recommended Karen uh, for the receptionist job, and they hired her. Oh, I told you, she signed away the parental rights of her child. Once she got to the mission, she said, you know, it's my responsibility to raise my child. And she went back to the Department of Social Services, and they didn't give her any hope of her ever getting that child back. But they started the paperwork anyway, and sure enough, now she has custody back of Randall. Her son there. Her son was way behind in school. He was ADH and I don't know all those other symbols that they attach onto it. On all kinds of medication. Uh, But uh, he was way behind in school. But now they took, the doctors have took him off of all the medication. Uh, Now he's in a class working and uh, at above grade level. And now she's the county manager's uh, receptionist there. Isn't that what God can do? Walter Cole, I think I've shared with you his testimony before. Um, I didn't. I didn't have the testimony of Rebecca in there. Okay, I, I, so I must didn't have that in there. But uh, at the beginning, at the beginning when we elected a new governor, Governor Pat McCoy, it's traditionally that when a new governor is elected, that the first lady, the first lady of North Carolina, in, in, in invites all of the, the ones that contributed to their campaign, the ladies, and she has a first lady's lunching for the uppity up class, you know, and they generally have to the Angus Barn. Any you ever ate at the Angus Barn? You know you know what Angus Barn is? It's one of the most exclusive restaurants in Durham, you know, steakhouse. And they would always host at Angus Barn and, of course, all those ladies would come in that donated to the campaign or helped in the campaign. And, and, and uh, Ann McCory said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to host a lunch luncheon for l- women to have everything. I want to host a luncheon for women to have nothing. And uh, she came to the rescue mission, catered a meal, came over and served it to our women at our women's ministry. And, and, and I told I told Ann McCory, I said, I don't want you just serving the food, but I want you to sit down at, at, at tables and talk to our women and get to know them. Hear their testimonies. Hear their lives and find out the struggles that they're going through with. But not only did the governor's wife come, the lieutenant governor's wife came also. Uh, Speaker Tom Tillis, his wife came. He's running for Senate now. He's running for the senator. His wife came. The budget director, Art, Art Pope, uh, his wife came. Uh, Thomas Stiff, which is the governor's Chief of staff, his wife came, and I, I I divided all those women up at different tables. I put them all at different tables, and then I put our, our resident, our, our, our homeless women, at those tables, and and said, I want you to get to know one. I, I want uh, Mrs. McCoy. I want you to give your testimony to our residents, and and vice versa. You know, and so they had a conversation going. Mrs. McCoy said, uh, "I only got forty five minutes I can spend here." An hour and a half later. And she said she only had 45 minutes. An hour and a half later, her staff is trying to drag her out. And she don't want to leave, you know. And, and so uh, they got to meet some of the ladies there at uh, that. And that was a real blessing. And then uh, we, we built our new building, this building here. And we invited the governor to come for the ribbon cutting. So uh, Pat McCoy came for the ribbon cutting that we had there. We introduced him. We introduced uh, Pat McCoy to come and speak and lo and behold, a lady jumps up and pushes the governor out of the way. I mean, it was time for the governor to come and speak, and a lady jumps up and pushes the governor out of the way. It was the governor's wife. Only she could do that, you know, only, only the governor's wife. But what had happened before that time, She, she the, the governor's wife, when she came for the dinner, she sat with Rebecca Allred, a homeless lady that came through the mission, and I got to know Rebecca. But at, at the ribbon cutting, we had Rebecca's husband to give his testimony at the ribbon cutting. And the mayor's, I mean, the governor's wife had never met, met Rebecca's husband. So as he gave his testimony, and then we introduced the governor to come and speak, all of a sudden, Mrs. McCoy said, she's putting the two and two together, you know, and she had to come to the platform and say something. Have you ever heard the governor's wife make a speech? Nobody. She's a very private person. She doesn't do that. She is not a politician. But she was so excited about meeting her husband that she jumped up and wanted to say something there uh, at that. And then, not only that, they got to meet uh, Re- uh, Mike and Rebecca Allred. And when the governor got ready for his state of the state address, his first state of the state address, he invited Rebecca and Mike to be his special guest to sit with his wife in the balcony, and during the State of the State Address, he stopped, introduced his wife, introduced, introduced our two residents, you know, Mike and Rebecca, and told them that they were from the rescue mission, and what a great job the mission was doing there. And then, not only that, then uh, just this past spring, uh, we have a victory graduation two times a year, two times a year, and this past, the, the women's graduation this past year, you know where the women had their graduation at? At the governor's mansion. In other words, the governor's wife hosted our graduation at the governor's mansion there. And those women said, you know, I've ne-, one lady said, I've never had anything to do with anything with a mansion, you know, before. You know, and so, but this is our building that we just built it. It's about two years old now. We've been in there for about two years. And it is a wonderful building but my, my, my goal was to always have an empty bed there at the mission. Uh, this is the dining area. The dining area will seat uh, 250 people at one time. We have 491. At one time, we had 491 people staying in the mission. But this will seat uh, 250 people. Uh, that's the kitchen. I mean, the kitchen is it, it, a state-of-the-art kitchen. You need to come see it. Uh, this is uh, one of the dormitories. we got several dormitories in the building. That's Pat McCory our gov our, and our mayor our mayor, is to the right of him, and that's that's at the ribbon cutting there. And then that's uh, Rebecca and Mike, Rebecca and Mike, all read there. That, that's uh, those two uh, with the governor and the governor's wife. And our future is to build uh, these buildings here. We we we, we uh, when we had 490, we had about. 30, were any of you there this winter? Was about 38. How many sleeping on the floor? 38. Yeah, I think we had about 38. All beds were full, and we had about 38 sleeping on the floor. I want you to pray for that. How, and, and then I told you, our thrift stores create 70 jobs. We want you, ladies. We want you to collect all your clothing and get them together. Maybe one special day you have a clothing day. Uh, bring it to the church, and somebody would pick up truck and, and uh, get it down to the mission. We, we would love to have that there. That's pictures of our three thrift stores that we have. Uh, we can use about anything there. Volunteers are very important. Uh, how can you help come and volunteer? Uh, Christmas, we've got a Christmas event coming up, December 23rd. Really, if you can do personal work, if you know how to show somebody how to be saved, we would love for you to come. Uh, we'll have about 2,000 people. To come that day, at least 2,000, we'll preach the gospel, we'll give an invitation, many will come. And and we never have enough personal workers to deal with all of those that come. And so if if you can free up your schedule to come on the 23rd, uh, you come. And uh, it's a day that we give away toys to the kids, and it's a a very blessed day there. Okay, we thank you for all that you've done uh, for the rescue mission. And uh, it's, it's been such a blessing. And we want it we want to be a blessing to you. We do. Take your Bibles if you would and turn to uh, Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. Today I think we'll look at the first recorded message uh, that Jesus preached after beginning his public ministry there. His first recorded message that he preached and Isaiah in Isaiah sixty one, don't go to Isaiah sixty one now. You might want to put your finger in there, or we will go to Isaiah later on, because uh, here in Luke, uh, as he began his public ministry here in Luke chapter 4, they gave him the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened it to Isaiah 61. But let's look here in Luke chapter 4, and uh, let's begin in verse uh, 7, uh, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when it opened the book, he found the place wherein it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book and gave it again, uh, gave it again unto the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Let's pray, Father. We thank you now for uh, Community Baptist Church, Father. We thank you for the the pastors that they've had. Uh, Lord through the history of the mission the three pastors that they've had and Lord just the, the wonderful support and the, the love and the expression and, and Father we thank you for all of that and Father I pray that today Lord that we might be of some help to the church take now and guide and direct in all that's said and Father we pray that you encourage uh, your, your children here today for it's in Jesus name we ask it Amen So we see here in verse uh, 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because it anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now when I say the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and and I really believe that what we're looking at here, Isaiah prophesied the kind of ministry that Jesus would have, and, and what he would do when he came. Jesus read that scripture and said, Now this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So Isaiah was prophesying the kind of ministry that Jesus would have. And and I believe that's the ministry that God's given all of us. Not just to Jesus. I I really believe the ministry God's given me to preach the gospel to the poor. But you might say, "Uh, uh, No, no, God hadn't called me to preach. But maybe not to preach from the pulpit, but maybe like a Norman Pollard. You know, God never called Norman Pollard to preach. But he was a great soul winner. He would preach the gospel one-on-one all over eastern North Carolina and, and led many, many to the Lord. And, and I really believe that that's the ministry that God would have all of us to do, is to reach out and help others. And you'd be surprised. Uh, I've been in rescue mission work now for 45 years. I have never known as many hurting people out there as there are out there now. I have never known addiction to be as wide and as prevalent as it is out there now. There are a lot of hurting people. And I'm, I'm not talking about just those that are addicted, but, but their parents and their loved ones, they're hurting also. So Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And speaking of the Spirit of the Lord, uh, how much, if, if, as we go out to serve the Lord, we need His guidance on us. Look back at Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Go to verse 1 there. Uh, here uh, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned uh, from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. See, Jesus, even though he was he was God, God in the flesh. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was God in the flesh. But even while he was in the flesh, he chose to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, and if God if God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, chose to be led by the Spirit how much more do we need that than He, you know? And so, so uh, we need to stay in the Word, read the Word, and then walk by the Word. That's how you, you walk in the Spirit and walk in the Word of God there. And so it says to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, uh, there's a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists out there that would tell you how to work with the poor and how to help the poor. And we have 13 shelters in Durham that work with the homeless. 13. Just about all of those are getting government money. Just about all of them getting government money. And government money just rolling in to help them there. Uh, we're about the only ones that don't take government money. But there are 13 shelters. But out of the 13 shelters, we are the shelter of choice for over half of the homeless in Durham. We take care of, We take care of over half of the homeless in Durham, even though there's 13 other shelters out there. Why? Because I, I believe that they've come to the point, they realize they need a Christian program. They want a Christian program. And, and they've, seen the, they've seen our graduates go out, they've seen the lives that they're living, and now they want to come. Yes, 13 shelters, but yet the Durham Rescue Mission takes care of over half of those uh, in Durham there. Uh, and then to preach the gospel to the poor. It's the gospel that's going to change their heart. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." For it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. With your loved ones that you got out there, begin to memorize the Romans road. You can talk with your pastor, and, and uh, he, he can give you the scriptures to that, uh, the Romans road there. Uh, and, and you can begin to show... You don't have to learn a lot of scripture to show somebody how to be saved. By the way, just John 3.16 is enough to show somebody how to be saved there. Uh, but what is the gospel? Uh, Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15... Uh, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I receive: how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Basically, that's all you need right there, to tell them about about the birth, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell them, we, we, we talked about uh, his virgin birth at, in our Sunday school class back there today. Uh, just that, that He was God, He came to save, and, and what a difference that can make in their lives there. And so, not, not only to preach the gospel to the poor, He sent me to heal the broken hearted. To heal the broken hearted. I cannot tell you the t- numbers of times that our phone ring at the rescue mission, and as we answer the phone on the other end, you can barely understand and hear what they're saying. I mean, you can only com- maybe comprehend about every second or third word. And I don't mean that they're drunk or they're drugged up because you can't hear them. But it's a mom or dad crying and sobbing so much because they have a son or a daughter that's addicted. See, addiction hurts more than just the person that's addicted out there. Sometimes I, I literally think it hurts the family. I think it hurts the family more than it really hurts the person that's out there. At least it hurts them uh they realize the pain more so than those out there, and, and uh, you don't have to. In, in our families, uh, you don't have to go any farther than the cousins out there. But there are a lot of people that are that are hurting because of addictions, and God wants us to just take the word of God and and show them and help them. The Bible says, uh, "And and you should uh, know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." It's just what's going to set your, your 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 boys and girls free from addiction. The Word of God. Paul said it's the power of God into salvation. Don't minimize. Don't take a back seat to a psychiatrist or a psychologist for any reason. I mean, it's the Word of God that's the power. They have no power. But but the Word of God does. The Word of God will change their lives there. And then it says to preach deliverance to the captive. When I see that word captive, I think of addiction. I think of addiction. They, they are trapped. I think of my dad. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard my dad say, Son, I promise you, I'll never take another drink as long as I live. And you've heard your loved one say that also. Or, or, or Mom, I promise you, I'll, I'll, I'll never use drugs again. To find out that just the next week they're right back on it again. Why? Because they're captives. They're addicted uh, uh, to uh, whatever their sin of choice is out there. And they're back on that. We just need to pray for them. Pray for them. Keep on praying for them. And you'll be surprised. God, God will give the victory. God will, you, you pray and then you live that life, that, that as an exemplary Christian life in front of them. You don't nag them. You don't nag them. You don't do that. Uh, but you live that life. You let them know that you're praying. And you let them know that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and that He loves you. They really, a lot of times, they feel like nobody loves them. And so, if you can convey that one thought to them—that you love God and you know that He loves you—that—that—that—that that, that, that is a big draw on them. For the, if they can, if the Holy Spirit can take that and touch it to the heart, you'd be surprised how that'll begin to work in their hearts and lives. There, and then uh, on, on the uh, latter part, that other, and to recover the sight to the blind, the Bible says that the, that the God of this world had blinded the minds of them that believe not lest they should come to the glorious gospel of the truth. I I mean, the devil is good at that. He is good at blinding us to to really the the truth out there so so that we won't get saved. And and so therefore, uh, you take the word of God, share it with them, and then to set at liberty them that are bruised. Sin, alcoholism will bruise the life of anybody you run across with. You know, uh, sometimes uh, I, I look at folk coming into the rescue mission, and sometimes th- they look 10, 20 years older than they literally are. You've you, you been around addicts like that. You've seen that many times uh, out there so often. But then one thing I like about that, you look there in verse Luke chapter 4 and verse 19. That this is the exciting part about the mission. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord it doesn't matter what your loved one has done in the past. I mean, if today they hear the gospel and they believe the gospel, they can be saved today to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's, that's the privilege that we as preachers have. Whether we be ordained ministers or just lay ministers that, that are sharing the gospel out there. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord and see them get saved. You know... One of the most important... Not not the most important thing, but a very important thing here in verse 19. I really want you to look at this really close. You see it says, "...to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, peered. One of the important things in this verse is the period. Where, where have you ever heard that before? That One of the most important wor- words in, in a sentence is the period. He goes on to say, uh, "...and he closed the book and gave it again unto the minister," verse 20, "...and sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him." And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now what I say that the period is very important to understanding this passage. Because in in Isaiah, and I want you to go to Isaiah, not, not yet, because I want you to really see that period again. See? It says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period. And it says, Now this day this scripture is fulfilled, but not so in Isaiah. In Isaiah, that period was a comma. Go to Isaiah 61, and you'll see what we're talking about, where he was quoting from in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 and verse 1 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bound up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captive, to opening of the prison to them that are bound. And now here's that verse that, that Jesus took took the comma out and put a period. And he says, now this day is this scripture fulfilled in years. You notice it says in verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You see the comma? But Isaiah was prophesying the coming of the Lord and what he would do. And it goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why was it that Jesus took out the comma, inserted the period, and he said, now this day... The, literally, this part of that Scripture is fulfilled in your ears. See, Isaiah, when he was prophesying the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was prophesying both of the comings of the Lord Jesus Christ in one verse. In one verse. And he came of the virgin. He was born. And so he came to, to just fulfill that one part of the Scripture. But I believe that any minute today, I believe the rapture could take place. We, we that are born again, will be called up to be with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But if you ever stop to think about your lost loved ones, that's going to be left behind. What will they go through? When Jesus comes back, takes out the period, inserts the comma, and then it will be the day of vengeance of our God. It'll be what we call the seven years of tribulation. Revelation tells us that that they will run to the rocks and the mountains during that time. The pain and the agony will be so great, they would run to the rocks and the mountains and cry out for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, just to hide them from the face of the one that sits on the throne. Preacher, who's going to be doing that? Your loved ones and my loved ones, if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I believe that moment could be any day today. I believe it could be even before I finish the message today. And sometimes I believe that 's why my wife and I we go day and night and sharing the gospel, trying to win as many as we can to the Lord before Jesus comes, takes out the period, inserts a comma, and then it becomes the day of vengeance of our God. Fathers, mothers, we need to be busy sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. Go with me if you would now to a second Thessalonians talking about the day of vengeance of our God, Second Thessalonians chapter. Second uh, Thessalonians in, in chapter one in verse seven there it says, "And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord." and from the glory of His power. We need to be busy. But so often, sometimes we as Christians, we just waffle through life, you know. Uh, but, but it's an urgent it's urgent that we get out and when our loved ones, while yet it is the acceptable year of the Lord that we might preach that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I wonder while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed,